Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. God, the more we know you, the more it is that joy dances in our souls. So as we open the pages of our family's history, show yourself in its words. Whisper your love in our ears. Draw us into the embrace of your arms. Let our hearts beat a little faster as we hear the sound of your voice so near. Amen. Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 1731, entitled The Rich Man. As Jesus continued down the road, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus replied, Why do you call me good? No one is good except the one God. You know the commandments. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he responded, I've kept all of these things since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. He said, you are lacking one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But the man was dismayed at this statement, and went away saddened because he had many possessions. Looking around, Jesus said to his disciples, it will be very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. His words startled the disciples. So Jesus told them again, Children, it's difficult to enter God's kingdom. It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. They were shocked even more and said to each other, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them carefully and said, It's impossible with human beings, but not with God. All things are possible for God. Peter said to him, look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, I assure you that anyone who has left house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children or farms because of me and because of the good news will receive 100 times as much now in this life, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and farms and in the coming age, eternal life. But many who are fast, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. So talking about tithing today, which I know is a powerful crowd pleaser. Um, throughout my ministry, anytime I needed to pump up my attendance, I would always let people know that I was going to preach on tithing. But because people just come and bust through the doors when you talk about giving money. But let's be honest, when we start thinking about developing habits for a home run faith, it's really not about the amount of money that we give. It's really about us figuring out how best to order our priorities. 
So thinking about baseball, because, oh my goodness, I have been reading more about baseball than I ever have in my whole life. Um, please remember that I was ADD before ADD was cool. A four-week sermon series is painful to me. We're on the seventh week of the same theme. I was done about four weeks ago. But um, so thinking about how do you tie uh, tithing and baseball together. Well, if you're a fan of movies or baseball, uh, in uh, 2003 there was a, a nonfiction book uh, written about the Oakland Athletics 2002 run uh, for the World Series. Um, at that time, the Oakland Athletics did not have a, a large uh, budget. They did not have a, um, a, a championship-winning team. And so what they did is they uh, began to look at using a couple of economic measures and um, statistical uh, metrics uh, called a, a saber metric. I'm sure there's people in here who have written their PhD on that, um, that you can take and use to find baseball players who in all um, other circumstances would be considered undervalued. Uh, they're folk with uh, low salary contracts, but high performance. Um, they're not the big names, they're not the sizzle, um, they're not the ones that are gonna uh, bring in a whole lot of people into the stadium, but they're the people that constantly, consistently, over time, produce in the places that are important for a baseball team. Now this is an interesting thing, because for the longest time it was about having the name. In fact, um, basketball has yet to kind of come into its own in terms of the money ball experience. And so if you got LeBron, you win, right? Uh, or maybe not. Uh, and so for baseball, um, they have moved from just the idea of having the big hitters to having a team that produces. Uh, Moneyball um, was a movie in 2011 that uh, later uh, generated a number of nominations for Academy Awards, which I th still think is fascinating that you could take a, a nonfiction book about baseball economics, put Brad Pitt as the star, and it becomes an Academy Award winner, right? Further evidence that Brad Pitt can spin anything into gold. Um, but the concept is kind of clear there, that if we target our money, if we make our priorities important, that maybe a championship is possible in our future. When we think about money, we turn our eyes towards the scripture for today. I guess it'd be helpful if I use this. Um, and we begin thinking about how might we manage our money for success. Now our scripture passage begins with a great question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, this is said by uh, the, the rich young man. Now, if you look across um, the, all four of the Gospels, there are a number of places where uh, young men, sometimes referred to rich young ruler, sometimes um, um, a, a young teacher, uh, you name it, uh, men will come up to Jesus while he is on the way and ask, how might I get to heaven? Um, it, it seems to be a common question for folk. Now this particular uh, young man asks, he says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit uh, eternal life? And Jesus says, who's good? Why are you calling me good? Uh, he says, only God is good. And then begins to kind of recite the regular answer that if you were a rabbi, that you would tell somebody who wanted to do good things. Uh, Jesus says to him, um, uh, do not commit adultery, uh, do not steal, uh, respect your elders, uh, do not murder. Uh, those simple things that make us good. Now the young man says to Jesus, he, he says, I've kept these things since I was a little boy. Now, time out. I'm a preacher. <clears throat> and 
there's a little bit of a maybe. I mean, he just said that he kept half the list of the Ten Commandments since he was a small boy, saying it bold of face into the eyes of the Savior. There's a chance here that things seem to be off, but they're not. Scripture goes on to say that Jesus gazed at him, looked at him for a long time, and loved him. So I believe a great ethic for life is if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. So chances are this young man had done very well at keeping half the Ten Commandments since he was a small boy. And so the young man asks again, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, kind of a, a challenging piece, right? We've, we're all familiar with it. We've heard it read here by Roger today. We can see it as plain as day in our uh, Bibles. It says, sell everything you have, give the money to the poor, and follow me. Now, I was raised in a household with a salesman as a father. And I can see this. Is this Jesus doing the old... You know, I got enough work already and really don't want to work with that one. So I'll double the price of my usual services and say, give it a shot. Uh, no. In fact, what Jesus is saying here is not a challenge to exclude the man because we do know that he had so many possessions that he went away sad. But let's look a little bit at our Hebrew Bible and at the Ten Commandments. When we look at the Ten Commandments, okay slides. Um, so this is the part that we would call the human-to-human -human relationships, right? These are things that in the Ten Commandments you, you uh, choose to do in such a way so that you honor and treat ethically um, your brother and sister. But what we find in the Ten Commandments is two complete sets. One set that's about human-to-human -human relationships and the other one which is about human-to-divine relationships. And I would say that Jesus's command to the young ruler to sell everything he has, give it to the poor and follow Jesus was really a um, mega statement of human divine. Jesus was saying to the young man, you have figured out how to care for your neighbor, how to not abuse those around you, how uh, to speak truthfully and how to respect your father and mother. But there's more to life than that. There's more to life than just doing good things for those around you. There's about properly having a relationship with God and recognizing that God is, is the only God, that God created all, that we um, should not take God's name in vain. That's that piece of human divine interaction. You see, Jesus says you're lacking one thing. Go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Now, wait a minute. I've spoken to my financial advisor, and if I give everything away, there is no treasure in my bank account. <laughs> what Jesus is saying is that there is more than the things that we have. Um, good teacher, what must I do to obtain or inherit eternal life? Now, um, uh, the man goes away, and the disciples kind of say, hey, Jesus, we gave everything away, and we follow you, as if to say, do we get eternal life as well? And Jesus says it's really hard to get eternal life. It's really hard to go to heaven. And, and Peter kind of pushes him on this. And finally, Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle 
than for a rich man to get into heaven. Now, we need to be honest and say together that there has been uh, some pseudo-archaeological studies about the different gates around Jerusalem that it could be true or could not be true that one of those gates was called the Eye of the Needle because it was so small. And it may or may not be true that um, that Eye of the Needle gate was so small that a um, burdened down camel with many goods for trade would have to not only be unladen by their goods, but then the camel would actually have to kneel and crawl through the gate. It makes a great story for Stewardship Sunday, but the archeology span could be a little bit off. I don't think we have to go that far to talk about kneeling and crawling camels for us to get to the place to figure out what Jesus is saying about the challenge of a rich person going into heaven. In fact, um, Frederick Buechner says it very well. Frederick Buechner says that it is highly likely that those who have used up their entire lives making money so that they can enjoy the lives they have entirely used up may not see the value of going to heaven. I mean, think with me about the, the ultra-rich, those who have so much money, so many things that they can have. Um, they, they may not understand the idea of going to heaven. Let's be honest. Um, if you have spent your life accumulating wealth so that you can go to the two Michelin star restaurant in Paris, you may find it challenging when Jesus says, come to my table, and there's no need for reservations. That if you have spent your life accumulating wealth so that you can be part of the private club, it may be off-putting to realize that Jesus welcomes all. That the statement about uh, it easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to get into heaven may have absolutely nothing to do with the wickedness of, e of rich people, but rather the chance that they may not even see the reason why you'd want to go to heaven. Good teacher, what must I do? to enter into heaven. I think that inheritance phrase is really interesting. Um, our scripture passage out of the CEB says to obtain, but the NIV says, uh, what must I do to inherit? Now y'all know, I am not part of a trust fund family. That there is um, no uh, acreage that will be given to me. There are no uh, oil wells that will come my way. Uh, probably the best of my inheritance that I get is um, a strange accent from a mother from southern Alabama and a father from Red Bank, New Jersey. You often wonder where did that accent come from? Um, and then some really good jokes about be, ra being raised as an Italian-American. That's about all I got in terms of inheritance. But you and I both know that one doesn't do anything to get an inheritance. One doesn't do anything to get an inheritance. You don't earn the inheritance. In fact, inheritance is something given to one who is part of the family. So it's interesting that the rich young ruler asks Jesus, what must I do? It's almost like he is speaking to our American culture of achievement and progress. There is nothing we can do except be part of the family. And so we tie back into uh, habits that develop a home run faith. You see, the tithing is really not about the money. I am willing to say, I did not match 
Sure, all right, there we go. Um, I'm willing to say that tithing is never about the money. It's never about the amount of money that you give to the church. And I am convinced that if God created all that we see in seven days, that God can pay the electric bill and pay the preacher and take care of everything all on God's own. That the money we give is not the money that God needs. But what we do need is an opportunity to place priorities upon our lives. To think, um, where does our treasure reside? What is most important to us? Are we the kind of people who want to uh, accumulate as many things as we can, but miss out on recognizing who really is in charge of the world around us? I want to be honest that in adding tithing to a habit that creates a home run faith was a little bit of a risk. I mean, the public opinion polls, when you look at people outside the church, how they view people inside the church is they think it's all about the money. You've got hallelujah hankies and TV preachers and all those things that can make for holy life. That just in engaging the issue, we risk looking to others like we're all about the money. But I think tithing is an important piece. In a world of privilege and in a world of affluence, asking ourselves how we should spend our money and where our money came from can begin to establish for us what it means to have priorities. I really got a kick out of General Douglas MacArthur. I was reading, uh, looking for a story of inheritance that would be appropriate for today's sermon. And everyone knows General Douglas MacArthur. This is a name in America that you don't have to explain. I mean, I I like the corncob pipe, but hey, um, you know, Douglas MacArthur was known for being a commanding general and winning wars. But what's interesting is when you read from his autobiography, um, he writes about his legacy and what he hopes to be remembered for. He says, by profession, I am a soldier and take pride in that fact, but I'm prouder, infinitely prouder to be a father. A soldier destroys in order to build. A father only builds, never destroys. The one has the potentialities of death, the other embodies creation of life. And while the hordes of death are mighty, the battalions of life are mightier still. It is my hope, his own words, that my son, when I am gone, will remember me Not from the battle, but from the home. In the daily prayer, our simple daily prayer, that began, our Father, who art heaven. What a powerful statement of inheritance. What a powerful statement of priorities. What is it like for us to think in terms of um, effect and result and change in the world. What what if we were a money ball kind of congregation that didn't just send our money off to the regular suspects of helping agencies, but instead we looked and invested in the places like Society of St. Stephen's that takes a small amount of money and makes a positive change in our neighborhood. Society of St. Stephen's helps those who don't have the rent uh, or the utilities paid or food for what's going on. They are those who stand in the gap between those who have and those who have not. Moneyball approach to ministry might be a powerful piece to take undervalued helping organizations 
and find a place to invest. Friends, tithing is a habit that helps move us towards the heart of God, not because the preacher needs to be paid more money, not because we need a, a better country club to worship God in, but tithing is really about an opportunity to discern our priorities, to figure out where all that we have came from, and to return in gratitude a portion of what we've been gifted with to make a difference in the world around us for the kingdom. I wonder what our legacy is. What's your inheritance to give? What is the change that will come? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.